Well, when I was developing the message series, I thought that it would be appropriate for us to talk about uh, parenting on Mother's Day. And the Bible has a lot to say about parenting. It helps us to deal with the frustrating times, but it also reminds us that parenting is a privilege and a blessing from God. Look at what it says in Psalm 127. It says, children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. They, uh, having a lot of children to take care of you in your old age is like a warrior with a lot of arrows. The more you have, the better off you will be because they will protect you when your enemies attack with arguments. Children are a blessing and a gift from God. Now, has anyone else ever had days where they had to remind themselves of that? Maybe you said that through clenched teeth, you know. These children are a blessing. They are a gift from God. Yeah, we've had those days, haven't we? But the passage says, the more kids that you have to take care of you in your old age, the better off you will be. We have some families that have a lot of kids around here, and sometimes people give them a bad time, but uh, what that says is you have done a good job preparing for retirement. I mean, you don't need Social Security. You don't need retirement plans. Your kids will take care of you. Now, if your kids are like mine, it's still probably wise for you to save for retirement. Joel and I have kind of a different retirement plan. We plan to buy a motorhome and park it in each of our daughter's driveways for six months every year. And here's why. We want them to have the same joy we had. We want them to have the joy of coming home from work with us sprawled out on their couch watching television or napping. And when they come in, we will say, what's for dinner? We're hungry. And no matter what they say, we're going to say, we don't like that. Can we go out? We want them to have that same joy. Seriously, kids are a blessing from God, but parenting can be intense. It can be hard work. And in this series, we have talked about pushing the relationship refresh button on a number of different relationships. But if you are a parent, doing that well is really important. Having a great relationship with Jesus is the number one priority for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. If I'm successful at anything, I want to be successful at loving and obeying and following Jesus. But after my relationship with Jesus, being a great husband and father comes second. My first ministry to God is to my family. Therefore, this task of parenting uh, was and is a really high priority in my life. It is far more important than my career or my hobbies. And I have always wanted to do the best that I could. I didn't want to just get through the parenting phase. I wanted to excel at it. And I am guessing whether your kids are small or whether they're grown, you want to excel at parenting also. So let's look at pushing the relationship refresh button uh, and try to find God's wisdom for raising responsible kids. The Bible gives us great parenting advice. Let's look at four areas where we can teach our kids that will move them 
towards a faith in Jesus that really is their own and help them to become responsible adults. First, teach them a relationship, not just a religion. Teach them a relationship, not just a religion. No matter how much you want your kids to be followers of Jesus, that is not something that you can force on them. I wish that we could make that decision for those that we love, but that's not God's plan. God's plan is for each person to figure out that they are a sinner who has separated themselves from God because of their choice to sin. And then each person has to make a decision about how they're going to deal with that. I mean, they can just uh, ignore that fact and they can choose to live their life far from God. Or they can choose to let Jesus' death on the cross pay the price for their sin. The first choice, the choice to ignore it, leads to eternal frustration and, uh, I mean, earthly frustration and eternal punishment. And the second choice, to follow Jesus, leads to earthly peace and eternal joy. And we want to make that decision for our kids, but we can't. We can't force it. But what we can do is we can work hard to make it easy for them to choose the right path. Look at this passage from Proverbs chapter 22. It says, teach a child to choose the right path, and when he is older, he will remain upon it. Now, this verse is hard for some parents. I mean, some parents who have worked hard to raise their kids to know and love Jesus are brokenhearted because their kids don't seem to be following that path right now. And some may even be questioning their, parent, their parenting. What did we do wrong? And uh, why is our child not following Jesus right now? And there's two things that I would say to you if you're thinking any of those things. First, this is a principle, not a promise of Scripture. Unfortunately, some kids are influenced by, to go in other directions. I mean, it might be by friends who don't share your faith, or it could be as a result of a hurt that's been inflicted upon their life, and they may decide to stop following Jesus in spite of your great efforts to make it easy for them to choose the right path. And the second thing that I would tell you is don't give up yet. Don't give up yet. The passage says not that they would never explore other paths, but when they are older, they will return to the right path. And so keep praying for your child that they will get back on the right path. And whether your kids are five or 50, do your best to make it easy for them to choose the right path. And here's a hint. Most will not choose religion most won't choose religion because religion to them is a series of rituals. It's a series of rules, but they might choose a relationship. Most think that religion is about a God and they understand that Christianity is about Jesus, but here's the difference between a religion and a relationship. A religion is about what we do to appease him and a relationship is about what we do to connect with him. So religion is about trying to keep God happy. It's trying to make sure that he isn't ticked off at you. But a relationship with him is about developing an ongoing friendship 
with him. So let me give you two suggestions for teaching your kids a relationship with Jesus rather than teaching them a religion. First, live for Jesus personally. Live for Jesus personally. Your kids are watching you and they will know better than others whether you have a relationship with Jesus or whether you're following a set of rituals. So be sure that you're personally living in a growing relationship with Jesus. Are you sincerely worshiping Christ when you are at church? Do they see Jesus impacting your life uh, on a daily basis every day of the week? Or are, are they seeing you grow and give and serve and forgive and show compassion. These are all things that we do when we're living for Jesus personally. And make no mistake about it, how you live for Jesus personally will either make it easy for your kids to choose the right path or it will make it harder. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. A student is not better than the teacher, but the student who has been fully trained will be like the teacher. Let me change just a few words. A child is not better than the parent, but the child who has been fully trained will be like the parent. Make no mistake about it, your kids will be like you, and they will see your choices, and they will follow your lead. So if you're sincerely living for Jesus personally, they will see that. And they will likely follow that. If your kids are small, you can be a great lifelong example of what it means to follow Jesus. But some of you didn't start following Jesus until later in life. Or you shifted from a focus on religion to a focus on a real relationship later in life. And that can be even more powerful because your older kids will notice the changes that uh, are in your life right now as you live for Jesus now. And of course, they'll see every inconsistency that you have, but they will also see and know the sincerity of your relationship with Jesus. Secondly, live for Jesus as a family. Live for Jesus as a family. Decide to make following Jesus part of who you are as a family. When some of the children of Israel were thinking about going and uh, giving themselves to following idols, this is what Joshua said to them. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is a choice that Jill and I made for our children before they were even born. We said, our home is going to follow Jesus. We knew that they might make different choices when they got older, but Jill and I declared together that following Jesus was part of our family practice. It was part of the DNA of our family. And what did that mean? Well, some of that will be clearer as we go through the message, but let me just summarize it. It meant that we talked about Jesus. It meant that we were clear about the fact that the choices we were making were influenced by the fact that we followed Jesus. That included financial choices and choices to help others and choices about relationships, really all of our choices. It also set some of our family priorities. As a family, we went to church every weekend. And I mean every weekend, and not just because I'm a pastor. We found a church to visit 
anytime we were on vacation. We went when we had family reunions, and we went when we had camping trips, and when we had school events or other events. And, you know, I am concerned that some parents today are accidentally teaching their kids that following Jesus and going to church is something that we do when there's nothing else more fun or more important on the schedule, that going to church really isn't that important in some families. Now, our kids learn those things. They see those things. But now, our kids were also free to be involved in, uh, and participate in other activities, but they just knew that those activities needed to leave room for them to go to a church service every weekend and to be involved in our student ministry events that we call PAC around here. Now, that might seem harsh to some of you, but living for Jesus personally and living for Jesus as a family helped make it easy for our kids to make the choice to follow Jesus personally when they were old enough because we had taught them a relationship, not a religion. Next, teach them a standard, not just a sliding scale. A standard, not just a sliding scale. For our kids to be good and responsible, they must have a standard of what is right and what is wrong. And today, our society seems to be constantly changing. It seems to be a sliding scale of right and wrong. Far too often, the standard of what is right or wrong changes based on the circumstances. And our kids get confused because they don't see a consistent standard. We tell them that it's wrong to lie, that they have to be truthful, and then they hear us call in sick for work when we're not sick. Or we tell them that they shouldn't steal, that stealing's wrong, and then we give them school supplies that we brought home from our office. And if we're going to raise responsible kids, we have to teach them a standard to follow, and that standard can't be constantly changing. And you probably already know this. I think that the Bible provides a consistent standard uh, for our kids to learn and use. Look at this from 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by God and is useful for teaching and for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching them how to live right. The Bible is God's communication to us. It's his communication to help us live happily. It is a guidebook for living, and it can teach us, and it can make the determination of what is right and what is wrong, and it can help us correct mistakes and live in a way that is right and pleasing to God, and it can also be applied consistently to all people. And so the standard shouldn't, be, shouldn't change. It shouldn't change based on, I'm going to go through these quickly, situations. Again, situational ethics just ends up confusing kids and adults. When the standard changes for different circumstances, in different situations, then our kids have to figure out when that change takes place and when to hold to the standard consistently. And usually this ends up meaning that they will begin to adjust the standard of what is right and wrong based on what is comfortable and easy for them rather than what is actually right and wrong. The standard also should not change based on personality. Sometimes parents want to excuse their child's behavior or attitudes based on their personality. My child is just shy or she is very active. But if you use a consistent standard, it applies equally to all personalities. And then the last one that we'll mention is the standard shouldn't change based on intelligence. 
I remember when I was in youth ministry, parents saying, you know, Steve, I know my child's a behavior problem, but they're a behavior problem because they're gifted and they're just not being challenged by the leaders. But when we have a consistent standard, we don't change our behavior based on different levels of intelligence. We expect that standard to be maintained no matter what. Now, here's the beauty of choosing Scripture as your standard. Everyone is equal. Everyone is equal. The Christian parents, grandparents, the pastors, everybody can be trying to live up to the same standard. Every family member in the Christian community is accountable to the same standard. Now, please understand, some may be sitting there and they may say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to choose Scripture as my standard of what is right and wrong. Now, if you're sitting there and you're quietly making that choice, can I tell you, you get to make that choice, but understand you haven't solved the problem because you still have to have a standard of what is right and what is wrong. And if you don't have a consistent standard, then your kids will learn a sliding scale that is constantly changing. The third area is to teach them the reasons, not just the rules. This one's really important. Teach them the reasons, not just the rules. Too often, we're focusing on teaching our kids to behave right. We want them to obey the rules and we're not teaching them the reasons behind the rules. I believe with all my heart that the guidelines or rules that God gives to us are for our own good. I believe that they come out of God's heart of love for us. They are there to protect us and to protect other people that God loves. And when we teach our kids the reasons behind the rules, they begin to have the rules make sense to them. But you know what? It takes, them, it takes us a lot more time to teach the reasons. But Scripture seems to indicate that God intended for us to take the time we need to teach the reasons. Look at this Scripture again. Abby read it. It's the Scripture that's in the mezuzah. It's on the mezuzah on my doorpost. Uh, if you uh, received one of those today, you can put it on your child's bedroom doorpost or on your house doorpost. It's a constant reminder of this. This is the Scripture. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is the only true God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Memorize his laws and tell them to your children over and over again. Talk about them all the time, whether you're at home or walking along the road or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning. So you talk to your kids about God's heart for them all of the time. I mean, when you're driving in the car and you're, when you're walking them into school or when you're sitting at a meal or when you put them to bed at night and you talk to them enough to help them really gain the heart of God and an understanding of the heart of God, help them to see why he would give them the guidelines that end up forming our rules. We need to teach them what to, we need to teach them not just what to do, but why to do it. You certainly understand by now that knowing how to do right and knowing why to do right are two very different things. And if we teach them only to do right, we end up with kids who appear moral and good on the outside, but 
they're not moral and they're not good on the inside. And that's why when they leave your home and leave your rules, they often go a, a different direction. They follow the rules, but they don't have a heart that follows Jesus. And there are many reasons why a child might exhibit right behavior. Let's look at common motivations for right behavior. The first is this, a fear of punishment. Your kids behave right because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to endure the punishment that they will get if they misbehave. The second one is a need for approval. They really hate to disappoint you. They don't want to disappoint their parents. They don't want to feel like their parents are mad at them. And so they obey the rules to make sure that they have the approval of their parents. Now, can we stop right here just a minute? And can we say and remind ourselves that we are all children of God? We're God's children. And many people are trying to obey God's rules for one of these two reasons that we've just talked about. I mean, they fear punishment. They picture this angry God who is just looking for excuses to send them to hell, and they don't want to go there, and so they do their best to fo follow the rules. Or they have this need for approval, and they really don't believe that God loves them. They don't really believe that God could keep loving them, and so they try to do things his way. They work hard to behave in a way that they think God would want them to so that they would have his approval. Now, I don't think that those are the best motivations for obeying God, nor do I think that those are the best motivations for your kids to obey you. So the next one is better, and that is a desire to do right, a desire to do right. When, when my kids were young, I loved it when they behaved right. I, you know, I loved it on that rare evening when we'd go out somewhere and they, there would be absolutely no behavior problems. I just loved that. That was great. And when wrong behavior in their life was really going to be damaging to them, I really didn't care which of these motivations caused them to behave right. It didn't matter to me. But you know what I loved the best? I always loved it when they behaved right because they'd thought it through and they wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. I loved it when they made a choice to do something because they knew to do something else would be wrong and in their heart they wanted to do what was right. And teaching them the reasons, not just the rules, helped them to do that. It helped them to learn and to think in broader terms of what was right and what was wrong. I mean, they could apply the principle. Sometimes the same principle that made it wrong for them to be mean to their sisters could cause them to decide it was wrong to join in with their friends and bullying someone at school or uh, to talk bad about a teacher or a leader. So teaching them the reasons helps them develop their moral conscience and to begin to understand the heart of God and what makes something right and what makes something else wrong. And this is a skill that they will need if they're going to grow into responsible adults. Lastly, teach them consideration, not just courtesy consideration, not just courtesy. And some of you, as you're writing those words in your notes, in your mind, you're trying to think, is there really a difference between consideration and courtesy? I think there is. You see, courtesy is deciding to be polite 
when you could be rude. It is a response to a situation. You walk up to a door and someone's getting ready to come out and so you hold the door open for them while they come out before you go in. That's just common courtesy. But consideration is initiating an unnecessary act of kindness because you realize that it will meet a need for the other person. It might even meet a need that the other person doesn't know they have yet. It's grabbing your neighbor's trash can that is blown over and into the street and taking it up for them. It's removing snow from your neighbor's driveway so it's done before they get home from work. And I think most responsible adults and uh, show more than courtesy. They show consideration for others. And definitely, if we are followers of Christ, we are supposed to do that according to Philippians 2. Here's what it says. Don't be jealous or proud, but be humble and consider others more important than yourselves care about them as much as you care about yourselves and think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. So the whole culture of looking out for number one, the whole culture of taking care of yourself is not biblical culture. That's not biblical culture. Scripture's clear. If I am following Christ, I will be focused on others. If I'm following Christ, I will be focused on others. So teaching my kids consideration means I help them to think about other people. I help them to be more focused on the needs of others than on their own needs. And a parenting curriculum that was helpful for us when we had young kids helped us to teach our kids respect and consideration in several areas. Let me quickly list them. First, help them respect authority. Notice there's some scriptures under each one of these that you can look at and read later. But teaching them respect and consideration for authority means I teach my kids to honor, respect, and submit to the governing authorities that God has delegated leadership function to. And that uh, breaks down into three different areas. The first is governing officials. We need to help our kids think well of our elected officials and uh, our law enforcement officials. And we could talk more about that, but I'm going to move on. The next one is church leaders. God has placed leaders in our churches to help us move towards Jesus and to shepherd us. Elders and pastors and ministry leaders and directors and others are people that we should respect and our kids should be taught to respect them. They should hear us praising them and praying for our leaders. And then parents would be the last one. Now, before God established the church and before God established government, he established the family. And so teaching your kids to respect their parents is an important thing. You need to help them have consideration for us. And by the way, the very best way for you to teach your kids to respect their parents is for them to observe how you treat your parents and how you talk about your parents. We need to move on. We need to help them respect age and position. Now, here's one that used to be common, but has become something that people are forgetting to teach their kids. Our kids need to show respect and consideration for people because of the position they're in or because of the, just the fact that they're older than them. Now, when I was a younger guy, I didn't like it when kids in the church started calling me Mr. Hammer. You know, Mr. Hammer. And I would say, no, no, call me Steve. My dad is Mr. Hammer, right? Some of you have done that. I can tell. Now, here, here's the thing. You know why I didn't want him to call me Mr. Hammer? It made me feel old. 
You want to know the truth? I was old. I had kids. I had a car payment. I had a mortgage. Those are things old people have. And so we have to get over that. Teaching kids to use a title, Mr. or Mrs. or aunt and uncle or a pastor or doctor, helps them to acknowledge something. It helps them to basically say, just by giving that title, I am acknowledging that based on your position or based on your age, we're not at the same level. You're beyond me. And that is really healthy for our kids to learn. It is really healthy for you to teach your kids if they're sitting in the lobby of a restaurant waiting for a table and someone older comes in to get them to stand up and give their seat to someone who's older because just based on their age, they deserve that. Now, when that happened to me recently and somebody made their kid get up for me, I didn't like that either. But it's a good thing to teach your kids. Next, teach them respect for their peers and their siblings. We don't just have to show respect for people older than us or in different positions than us. We need to show respect and consideration for our friends and our siblings. Was it just my kids, or does this happen in your house too? When my kids were young, there might be a toy that sat on a shelf unused for weeks. And then they would have friends over and a friend would pick up that toy. Suddenly that was the only toy in the house that they could play with. You know, or their sister would get it or sibling would get it. And, and suddenly there's this big fight because this toy that nobody's played with for weeks suddenly is the only one in the house. And so teaching them this is teaching kids to share. It's teaching them to think about their friends and about their siblings. It's teaching them uh, that when they are getting ready to take cookies to make sure that they're leaving cookies for other people. There is a lot more we could say here, but let's move on to the last one. That's helped them show respect and consideration for property and for nature. Jill and I didn't have nice furniture when our kids were small, but our kids would have thought that it was really expensive because we made them treat it really well. We wanted them to think about where they had their glass and where they painted and where they did other things because we wanted them to respect property. We didn't want our parents to have to move everything when our kids came over. We wanted our kids to respect their property. We wanted our kids to respect the earth. We didn't want them to litter. We wanted them to leave the flowers attached to the stem so that other people could enjoy them. We wanted them to respect uh, property and nature. We've got to move on. Basically, teaching consideration instead of courtesy is just helping our kids to be others-oriented. And you know what? Probably all of us at whatever age we're at might be able to use a refresher course on how to do that. Now, we're out of time, but let me just go back to that verse that we looked at earlier that Jesus said, a student is not better than the teacher, but the student who has been fully trained will be like the teacher. Now, whether you are a parent or not, you're probably influencing someone, and I want you to hear very clearly what Jesus says. The people who you are influencing will become like you. They will become like you. And parents, I want you to think about this. This is the verse I want you to focus on and meditate on a little bit today as you think about helping your kids become godly, as you think about helping your kids become responsible. 
realize again that your kids are going to be like you. So as we pray, would you just ask yourself this question? If my kids follow in my footsteps, will I be okay where they end up at the end of the road?